Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Cinema Soft Underbelly. I'm your host, Eugene Weaver. And if you're listening, then you know this show is all about the horror movies, the fantasy movies, the science fiction movies, gems in the rough, movies that should be seen that have not been seen. And uh, today I am going to, there's a couple of announcements that I want to throw out there, and then uh, I'll just touch on uh, some other some other recently watched stuff real quick. Um, so I've been doing this now for a little while, and I'm getting close to 70 episodes, and um, being that this is a one-man operation right here, uh, after a while it gets kind of difficult to just continually talk about movies by myself, so... I am going to start having uh, guests on my show. Mainly, uh, my co-host on Movie Freaks, Eric Marner, is going to be helping me out with the show and just kind of keeping conversation going. It's just a lot easier when you can go back and forth with someone on uh, on any particular movie versus giving little essays on movies, which I do enjoy. I, I really enjoy doing that, but uh, after a while, it's like, okay, well, uh, you know, I've been reviewing movies now long enough that... Uh, where do I go from here? So just wanting to keep things fresh and interesting, and that's uh, that's what I'm going to be doing. So stay tuned very shortly for uh, Soft Underbelly with a uh, co-host of sorts or numerous co-hosts. So that's coming soon. Uh, okay, so uh, today uh, there's been so much going on uh, on Netflix with, with just fantastic releases uh, that I'm trying to play... Uh, uh, clean up here and just touch on a couple movies that I probably won't have a chance to talk about on Movie Freaks, or at least I won't have a chance to to delve into uh, with a whole lot of detail. Uh, so I thought that I would, uh, on this episode, just kind of clean house and just get a lot of the stuff out of the way that uh, that I wouldn't necessarily talk about on on my other show with Eric. And just get those out of the way. So um, I'm gonna be, that's what I'm gonna be doing today. And first up is a movie called Alien Outposts that I was really looking forward to. Uh, it is on video on demand right now, so that's how you can watch it. It's directed by uh, Jabbar Rasani, and Jabbar Rasani, I believe that's how you pronounce his name. This movie was from 2014, uh, but he's done a lot of visual effects. Uh, and uh, he's been second unit director a couple times. But as far as actually directing, uh, he's only this is his uh, this is his first feature length movie directing. So I want to review the movie with that in mind that he's only this is his first movie. And having said that, having said that this is his first movie, uh, it it's impressive for what it is. Do I really like the movie? Mm, not overly. Uh, it was, uh, I suppose, worth a watch, barely. However, that's not to say that this movie does not have its merits. It does. Uh, it's. I don't want to say it's a found footage movie. It's more of a, a, a TV crew interview type thing. It's in the future... And aliens have invaded the the Earth, and uh, there's this military base that is being continually attacked by aliens and uh, 
insurgents there over in, uh, I believe, Iran is where it's supposed to take place in, I believe. Uh, so these uh, roughnecks are fighting off aliens and, and insurgents, and it's interesting. The setup is pretty interesting, especially how the aliens invaded, and there's a couple of, of very brief scenes of the actual invasion, and they're, they're really good. Uh, you can tell it, everything is low budget, but you can tell it's like, okay, that's high-end CGI, and it's, it's, it's done in a, ta- a camera, uh, like news footage sort of way. Uh, and then the movie starts to drag and drag and drag. It's 90 minutes long, uh, but it, it gets to the point where you're watching so many interviews with soldiers, uh, which to me is covering up the fact that they do have a very, very low budget. Uh, that it, and it's it, it almost, almost everything is done on, on one location. And I understand, again, it's a low budget movie, uh, but eh, I don't know. It was. It was barely watchable. I will say this. If you do plan on watching this, uh, stay, stay through the end credits because they're, it, probably the best scene in the entire movie is after the credits. I thought that that was really cool. The aliens look good in it. This almost a little in a roundabout little way kind of feels like a uh, District 9 but on a much lower, lower budget. And even that was a low budget, but this is substantially lower budget than that. So anyway, uh, just one that I wanted to get out of the way. It was I'm glad that I'm glad that I watched it. I like to give uh, these these types of movies a chance. And if there are wins, then great. If there are misses, then I at least at least I tried. So that one there is a to me as a thumbs down, but not a huge thumbs down. Um, uh, next up, I want to just real briefly uh, talk about. Sorority House Massacre. I watched that one again. This is the Blu-ray, and this one here I uh, I got from uh, Scorpion Releasing, and I got it on the the website uh, Diabolic DVD. I will say this: uh, this was limited to I believe a thousand, and they're nowhere to be seen anymore. So I either either they're going to be restocked from Scorpion, or they are completely uh, out of print. But what a great, fun 80s slasher movie. This is proof that watching, uh, watching a movie in HD can, can completely change your view of a movie. I, the first time I watched Sorority House Massacre, I, I quite enjoyed it for what it was. But seeing, seeing it remastered, is, uh, it makes it so much better. Uh, it looks like a competent, well-budgeted movie for what it is. Um, and I may have talked about this. I'm, this is another reason why I want to have a co-host. Is uh, a lot of a lot of episodes seem to almost bleed into each other for me. So I'm not even sure if I talked about this one before on Blu-ray or if I just talked about it uh, with the the uh, Netflix version that I had watched originally. Uh, but regardless, uh, I was very impressed with the Blu-ray. Is it worth thirty dollars? To me, yes. Uh, for such a niche title and such a limited quantity, yes, that was totally worth 30 bucks to me. But I am a uh, 80s slasher fiend, and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed that movie. So uh, anyway, okay, so moving on. Another one that I watched was a movie called House of Seven Corpses. Uh, and this movie here, let me just find it here. 
Um, House of Seven Corpses. It's from the 70s, 1974. And it was directed by Paul Harrison. And this is actually on uh, Amazon Prime if you're interested in that. Um, as far as producing, he only did a couple TV shows and then he directed that movie and that's it. Uh, but for what it is, it, it's a very watchable movie. It's a, uh, a film crew is uh, filming at this old creepy house um, and they st- they're filming a horror movie and they stumble across this book and the book has incantations and... Uh, the incantations awaken this rotted zombie type thing, and there's uh, there's like legend of this house uh, that there was like seven people killed, and so the zombie is doing all these people in as the original the the people that had died years ago had been killed. This zombie is killing them in, killing them off in the same way, uh, and I'm not giving anything away. Really, I'm not. This is a very very run of the mill movie, and in fact. It would be a complete and total waste of time if it would be coming out now. It's just one of those movies that 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 works solely because it was made in the seventies. It has that seventies feel. It has seventies actors, seventies style, seventies music, and it works and is creepy because of that. Uh, however, something like that, the, like the storyline itself uh, being remade, because I could only see this being done in one of those silly low-budget Netflix sort of ways where everything is shot on video and it just, it looks, it looks cheap, even though the video camera is high-end. Uh, I, I hate those movies. Uh, Never Lake is a prime example of slickly shot with high-def cameras and it just looks like newsreel footage. I hate that. Um, now, this movie, it's interesting. This movie is very much, it has a grindhouse-type feel. Uh, but it's rated PG, and it's it's totally a PG movie. Uh, there's pretty much no nudity or swearing or blood or anything like that. There's a little bit of blood, I guess, but uh, but what it what it lacks in in that area, it makes up for with the the cool score and just the time that it was shot in. It just feels old school, and the ending, the very very ending, is really cool. I really dug the ending. Uh, which I don't want to give that away. But if you're if you're up for something different and something that's not going to, if you're a, not a big fan of uh, in, in immensely graphic violence, give this one a chance uh, because it's it's an easy watch. Uh, but you have to like this type of thing. If you're not into low budget '70s horror movies, you're gonna hate this because <laughs> that's what this is—a low budget '70s horror movie. I liked it. I think that my co-host Eric Marner would like it. Um, but that's for you to decide. Give it a chance. Uh, okay, next up is uh, a couple of a couple of these here. I want to touch on on uh, movie freaks, so I'm going to avoid talking too much about them here. Um, but I do want to talk uh, about um, another '80s movie. Now, this is barely '80s, but it's '80s enough. I think 1989, and that is Deep Star. Yeah, Deep Star Six from 1989. Directed by Sean S. Cunningham. Sean S. Cunningham directed Friday the 13th, the original Friday the 13th. Uh, what else did he direct? Uh, Friday the 13th, The Stranger is Watching, Spring Break, The New Kids, Deep Star 6. Um, 
he hasn't done a whole lot of directing. Now, producing, he's done a lot more producing than directing. Um, but here is another prime example of a movie that gets a lot better because it's in high definition. This is now on Netflix right now. And I've watched this movie through the years. First time I saw it was on VHS. Actually, first couple times. I've watched this movie probably way more than I should have because it's not that great of a movie, but I continue to watch it because I enjoy it. Uh, but a couple times on VHS and then a couple times on DVD. And the, the quality was just terrible. Uh, especially the la- I watched this uh, about a year ago on DVD. It's because I wanted to revisit it. I'm like, ah, it's been long enough. I should revisit Deep Star 6. And I'm like, oh, this thing is lousy, especially compared to with, with Leviathan and uh, The Abyss, all of which were made right around the same time. And it was almost like Abyss, top tier, Leviathan, second tier, Deep Star 6 was the uh, scrape in the bottom. And rewatching this, I'll tell you what, it's, it's really uh, an enjoyable little movie for what it is. Uh, the budget was decent on it for a low budget movie. I mean, this was a, got a theatrical release, all that good stuff. Um, so uh, I, I think it worked really good. Uh, bottom of the ocean, deep star six has just discovered a new alien menace. Um, that's kind of all you need to know. It's, it's one of those movies that, uh, a, a group of people are trapped in an enclosed environment and a creature is trying to get them and kill them the end that's all it is it's alien underwater just like leviathan uh, leviathan is certainly better than this but this was enjoyable for what it was i uh i thought that the especially in high definition the creature in the end looked better in high definition than it had than it had in years past uh it's a big crab-like creature that's that's uh, killing these people and this is one where patience pays off because the first hour almost of this movie not much is happening and it's a lot of exposition and a lot of arguing and bickering and back and forth and all that stuff and every now and then you'll get a fake shot of miniatures underwater Uh, but then when when things get rolling there's some really great set pieces in the movie uh, that that one of which is actually the cover of the uh, DVD. Uh, if you take a look at it, you'll know what I'm talking about. But that's probably one of one of the biggest highlights of the movie. I believe that Sean Cunningham did this as a favor for a producer. He didn't necessarily want to direct Deep Star 6, but um, but as a favor, he... He did. So it only grossed eight million, a little over eight million bucks. This is a Karolko picture, and Karolko has, you know, they were doing the Rambo movies and uh, a lot of action movies. Robert Harmon was originally supposed to uh, be the director on this, and he's done uh, a, a nice amount of movies. Uh, the original Hitcher from 1986, and he did They, which I think was a pretty decent 2002 alien invasion type movie. I, I thought that that was pretty enjoyable, but, uh, anyway, so he was supposed to be the, uh, the original director, but seriously, this type of movie is, if you like this type of thing and you have your choice between this and Leviathan, obviously go with Leviathan. And if you have your choice between Leviathan and the abyss, obviously go with the abyss, but still a fun movie. I enjoyed it and I'm, I'm going to give it my, uh, 
Cinema's soft underbelly seal of approval on that one. Now, the next one that I want to talk about is uh, a, a little scene movie, but I, I'll tell you what, this is uh, one, this is personally to me, this is one of the best movies that I've ever seen. This is definitely, I've only seen this twice now, and it is officially in my top 100. Uh, and the fact that this thing bombed is, is so sad because they don't make movies like this anymore. And that is 1977's Sorcerer, directed by William Friedkin. And William Friedkin is the director of one of the best best horror movies of all time, The Exorcist. He also did The French Connection, Killer Joe, uh, Rules of Engagement, The Guardian, which is a really cool horror movie from 1990. Um, anyway, he made, uh, he made Sorcerer back in 1977, and if you haven't heard of the movie, one of the reasons that you haven't heard of it is probably because it came out uh, either a week before or after uh, Star Wars. And this movie got completely, completely uh, eaten up. And so it just bombed. And it's so, so unfortunate because um, it was a financial disaster back in the day. And rewatching it on the on Blu-ray, this is a complete masterpiece. It it uh, on my second viewing, which I just finished up, um, it's it's almost timeless. It's one of those movies where it feels timeless. Uh, I, I might as well get into the actual storyline of the movie. Four unfortunate men from different parts of the globe agree to risk their lives transporting gallons of nitroglycerin across dangerous South American jungle. Uh, Roy Scheider is in this. Bruno Creamer is in this. Uh, Francisco Gabel is in this. Um, basically, Roy Scheider is the—he's the main star of this movie. Um, but uh, so the beginning. This this is actually a remake of *The Wages of Fear*. Uh, for a French movie from the 50s, I believe, and I watched that one too. I think this one is superior in every every single way. Uh, the The action uh, is so intense in this movie, and it's so thrilling. Um, it, it's it's hard for me to look away. Like when you're when you're watching, it, it's like this is I, I can't pry my eyes off the screen right now. This is so amazing. Uh, you can tell a lot of the movie. Obviously, this is in way in the days of no CGI. Um, but how they filmed this movie without someone dying is, uh, is incredible because they're, these trucks are huge that are transporting this nitroglycerin and how they got the shots. Um, I truly don't know. It was incredible. The, uh, what, what they were able to accomplish in 1977. It doesn't even feel like a 1977 movie. This feels like uh, this feels a lot bigger, and that that kind of goes for The Exorcist as well. Now, Exorcist is a little bit more of its time, but it's still timeless in that it still uh, creates a, a very heavy emotional response in the viewer. Uh, the Exorcist does, and I think that Sorcerer does that in a very similar way uh, to where it just draws you in uh, it's hard for me to describe uh, but I always thought that that William Friedkin was kind of a one trick 
pony with The Exorcist. I like. I, there's a lot of movies that he's done that I like. They're they're good, but none are masterpieces like The Exorcist. And I know that some people don't like The Exorcist, obviously, as much as others. I personally think that it is a masterpiece. I also think that Sorcerer is a masterpiece. Uh, I think that this is one of the true un, underseen gems of American cinema. Uh, movie buffs, please, please give this movie a chance. You will not be disappointed. Uh, there are parts in the movie that remind me uh, a little bit of uh, Paul Anderson's There Will Be Blood. The score by, I believe, Tangerine Dream did the score for the movie. Yeah, and they were very much uh, an 80s bands that they have this certain 80s sound and sometimes their music can sound kind of 80s cheesy and then other times it sounds fantastic and in this movie it is perfect perfect for the setup perfect for um and i said 80s this is from the 70s but it's still the music almost feels more 80s than it does 70s uh but it's still it it goes beyond any any year to fit perfectly with the movie. Uh, it's, it's interesting. Tangerine Dream wrote the music score using only a draft of the script given to them by the director. At no time did they actually ever see any footage of the film, which is an incredible uh, because there are certain parts in the movie where it, it's so perfectly timed. And then there's other parts in the movie where there's no sound at all. There's no music other than what these guys are going through. And sometimes in movies that builds... Uh, that builds the tension way more than any musical note can is is the the intensity and the immediacy of the scene and there's a scene in the movie uh, where one of these huge trucks is going over this bridge that has uh, no business having a big truck going over it much less a human being and it's so good it's so good how uh, how well it's shot and the camera movements, everything is, it just, for some reason to me, it just feels like shots like that, scenes like that aren't made anymore in cinema. It's all so much more flashy uh, than the intimate feel that this huge action scene had in Sorcerer. And it was a huge action scene, but it was very intimate in how it was shot and the feel of it. And I, I, I loved it. Loved it. Uh, fantastic movie. Um, some some interesting tit, uh, tidbits on the movie. Director William Friedkin initially wanted Steve McQueen to star in the film. Uh, McQueen had accepted the part, but on one condition. He wanted a co-starring role uh, for his then-wife, Allie McGraw. And Friedkin would not accept his conditions, and McQueen dropped out of the film. Friedkin later went on record regretting not accepting McQueen's conditions. Uh, he tried to get Clint Eastwood and Jack Nicholson, neither, uh, but neither wanted to travel at the time. He stated that casting Roy Scheider in the lead was the worst casting decision he's ever made. Although he felt Schrader, uh, Scheider did a good job, um, and he's a good actor, he is uh, only interesting in a film as a second or third banana. He's not a star. This is from the director, William Friedkin. Um, so... Uh, there was only one main actor that was the director's first choice. All the other actors were fourth, fifth, and or sixth choices. And you wouldn't know. I, I can't believe he actually said that about Roy Scheider because uh, watching the movie twice now, I can't see anybody else in that role. I can't 
remotely see Jack Nicholson or Clint Eastwood in that role. Maybe Jack, or maybe a Clint Eastwood, maybe, but I think Roy Scheider was perfect in that in that role. And I'm very surprised that that he said those things. Uh, and even the other actors in the movie are are perfectly cast. This is a movie where there's not one single person in this movie that I thought could have done a better job casting there. I, everybody works perfectly. The acting is perfect in the movie. Um, so I'm not sure what kind of a person William Friedkin is as far as uh, how he... Is he a jerk in real life? I, I, I like him, but... Uh, so, anyway, I'm not sure. And just looking over the notes here, it's funny. Paul Newman turned down the leading role. Chris Christopherson. Gene Hackman. Uh, so, he really didn't want uh, uh, Roy Scheider, but Roy Scheider got the, bit, got the part, and I think it's one of his best, if not his best role. I know that everybody thinks that Jaws is, uh, is the greatest, but I'll tell you what. Uh, this versus Jaws, uh, I'm going to be very controversial here and say that I probably enjoy Sorcerer more than uh, Spielberg's Jaws. Yeah, there I said it. Um, hey, and Nick Nolte even tried to get the part, or he was cast. Uh, amazing. So, anyway. Um, there's an oil fire in the movie. It was created by pumping up thousands of gallons of diesel fuel, uh, as well as raw propane, into the air ignited. Once the fire started, it was so hot that no one could get within 50 feet of it. And that is a, another big set piece of the movie. Is And that was what kind of reminded me of uh, There Will Be Blood, is this, uh, is, is this oil fire that is going on in the movie. And that's actually the, the reason why these guys are trying to bring back dynamite uh, in a roundabout way to try and stop this thing. And it's just, there's a lot going on in the movie. Uh, so... Like I said, the movie was originally it was the, the the original version was a French movie called The Wages of Fear from 1953, and it was there was a book written on it. Um, William Friedkin has stated that the strange title of this film refers to the evil wizard of fate, and I like that uh, because um, how this movie begins it sets the stage for everything that comes towards the very end of the movie, and I'm not going to give anything more away on that other than. Uh, knowing that the, the one truck is actually called Sorcerer. They named the truck Sorcerer. But I like the uh, alternate meaning of of why this movie was called Sorcerer. Because when you hear Sorcerer, you're thinking, oh, okay, a 70s movie called Sorcerer. It's going to be a sword and sandals type movie. And it's anything but. It's, it's a very much based in reality movie. Uh, but uh, Sorcerer does fit into the movie. Very, very well, I might add. So... Um, I cannot stress highly enough to watch this movie. Uh, the Blu-ray itself is a, a thing of absolute beauty. The sound and the picture quality make this movie seem like it came out a year ago. I, I'm, I'm so impressed. Uh, in fact, if you have a choice between uh, not watching it or watching a, a standard definition version of this movie... Don't even watch it. Wait till you can watch the Blu-ray. This is one of the better transfers I've seen in the last several years on Blu-ray. It's that good. So uh, I'm going to be on a huge kick with this movie for a long, long time. Uh, and I'm going to try and get as many people as I can to watch the movie. My co-host, Derek Marner, already saw it. Uh, and I'd like uh, Cinema Sidekicks, uh, our, our friends over on Cinema Sidekicks, I'd like them to watch it too. But if you're in the mood for a really well-made action movie from the 70s that gets you thinking 
keeps you engaged and is just a phenomenal movie. Sorcerer is your movie. Check it out. So anyway, that's going to do it for me today. Uh, that kind of catches me up on kind of this, some, some movies that I wanted to get out of the way before uh, a really big podcast coming up this Sunday with uh, with my co-host Derek Morner on Movie Freaks. There's a ton of stuff that we have to go over and there's a ton of movies that I would have actually liked to talk about on my show, but I'm saving it for Movie Freaks. So tune in to Movie Freaks soon. Uh, sometime mid-next week, that should be up on uh, on iTunes, so make sure that you check that out. Obviously, make sure that you... Check out Cinema Sidekicks as well on iTunes. Always great uh, listening to them. Had a great Megapod show taping uh, not long ago. And now all three of our episodes are online, so you can listen to all of them. It started with Soft Underbelly, uh, and then Cinema Sidekicks, and then Movie Freaks. So there was a big three-parter, and we had a great time doing it. So that is going to wrap up my show for today. And uh, as always, you can get a hold of me at eugene-weaver at hotmail.com for any questions or comments or uh, movies that you think I should watch or movies that you think I should avoid, uh, Gems in the Rough, all those movies. I'm looking for for uh, movies that I haven't seen. I've seen so many movies at this point that I'm always looking for something new or, in the case of Sorcerer, something old that uh, is just a true gem in the rough that... Uh, kind of slipped under the radar and needs to be seen and needs to be discussed and uh, uh, re-explored. And Sorcerer is one of those movies. So anyway, thanks again for listening and until next time.